If you would, if you have your Bibles, turn to the Gospel of John. We're going to be in chapter 1. If you have your bulletins, uh, the passage is there for you, the ESV. Uh, uh, There's one announcement I completely didn't mention. Uh, Missions and outreach. We're we're hoping to to give you um, at least a weekly, bi-weekly way to plug into kingdom work here in Macon. Uh, And two that I've got listed there for you on your bulletin, one is uh, one called Push Start. Uh, it's, a, it's a tutoring program that's run out of Strong Tower Fellowship on Vineville Avenue. It used to be Vineville Presbyterian Church. Uh, it's the first and third Saturday of every month. Uh, they meet from 10.30 to 1. Uh, if I understand the schedule, 10.30 to 11.30, you play with kids. Uh, 11.30 to 12, you eat lunch with them. And from 12 to 1, you help them with any homework they might have. Um, that sounds like a pretty good tutoring program to me. So just a way for you to plug into the work over there, uh, Strong Tower Ministering. Uh, I think it's the Pleasant Hill Neighborhoods, what it's called. And then also another one Zach Meyer uh, is involved with is Come to the Fountain on Sundays at 5 o'clock, a ministry of the homeless. If you're interested in that, uh, get with Zach over here or Facebook him or whatever. Um, Welcome to RUF again. Again, if you came in late, I'm Elliot Everett, the new campus minister full-time. I live here in Macon. So excited to be here. Thank you all for being here. Um, Before we look at this uh, passage, we're going to be taking a hop, skip, and a jump through the Gospel of John this semester. and We're going to be exploring uh, this question, who is I am? Jesus explicitly claimed to be I am. The, the same name that God gave Moses in the burning bush in Exodus chapter 3. St. Augustine said of the Gospel of John that it is deep enough for an elephant to swim, yet shallow enough for a child not to drown. Now, I, I think that is a beautiful description of this beautiful gospel, an incredibly rich book with an incredibly rich beginning here in the first 18 verses, an introduction of sorts, uh, commonly known as the prologue. And I really want you to take, I put that quote of Augustine in your bulletin, I really want you to take that quote to heart. Uh, Because I think what the Gospel of John offers us, it offers the seasoned believer, the new believer, the skeptic, the convinced, the unconvinced, the weary, the excited. It offers all of those people something of this Jesus and who he's revealed himself uh, to be. So whether you're just not sure who Jesus is, uh, whether you're not sure whether you should really care, uh, whether you're burned out, whether you've known him all your life, whether you want to know him more each day, we are all invited by the Apostle John to come in and see this Jesus as he uh, has presented himself to us, to be convicted and convinced and excited in perhaps ways that we never have before. And that's what I hope we do uh, this semester. And as we look at this subject of who is I am, we are going to cover each I am statement. If you look at your graphic on the front of your bulletin, you know, I am the bread of life, I am the good shepherd, I am the resurrection and the life. Um, We're going to look at all those this semester. So if you would, uh, if you'd uh, read with me here, John chapter 1, the first 18 verses. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John, that's John the Baptist. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light, 
and that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. The true light which enlightens everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him. Yet, the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. And from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. Let's pray before we look into this. Father, we would ask that as we come to your word, that it would be just that to us, your word, that you would speak the words of truth and the words of life to us, even this very hour. We pray it in Jesus' name, amen. So this semester, we're gonna be looking at just one simple thing, who is I am? And right out of the gate, John gives us four things in these first 18 verses. You got them on there, uh, there on your bulletin. Who is I am? He's the word. He is God, he is the light, and he was a man, okay? Those are the four things I wanna look at tonight. The first one uh, is he is the word. Maybe the most popular verse other than John 3.16 in the Gospel of John, uh, this first verse. You know, and John is, is different than all the other three Gospels. Um, it begins differently. It's written in a different style. It, it records uh, many events that are unique to John. Uh, Mark starts his gospel with the adult Jesus beginning his adult ministry. Um, Luke begins his gospel with Jesus in the womb. Matthew begins his gospel with a geology, genealogy. John takes us back to the beginning, the beginning, and by implication, before the beginning. Every Jewish ear would have perked immediately to those words, in the beginning. And perhaps your ears were peaked as well, reminding you of the first verse of the Bible. John is taking us back to the, the beginning of all history and saying that at that beginning, Jesus already was. He was the word. And by using the language of the first creation, what John is doing is introducing us to the story of a new creation. The same one who was there in the beginning, by whom, to whom, for whom, all things were made. That same one is the one that's going to be all about this new creation that John's going to tell us about. And just like that first uh, creation, this new creation begins with what? A word. It begins with a word. God in the beginning spoke and it came to be. Let there be light, there was light. Everything that is, was, ever has been created by the word of his power. And John, right out of the gate, says that was Jesus. So from the, uh, the first, first verse, John's telling us this. This Jesus that you've heard about, 
This Jesus that you think you know, this Jesus that I'm going to tell you about, he is the creator of all things. But here's a, here's a question. Why is he called the word? Why is he called the word? Well, you just kind of simplistically think, what, what are our words? What are words to us? It's the way that we express ourselves. We express our thoughts, our desires. So what is Jesus as the word of God? But the perfect self-expression of the God of the universe. That's Jesus. Jesus as the word is God's perfect self-expression. And there's a connection here with the rest of scripture uh, and the history of salvation. You see, the word of God, that phrase in the Old Testament, is always used to denote God in action. Think about this. God in action, especially God in action in the works of creation, the works of revelation, and the works of deliverance. Just a few examples. Creation. God said, and it was so. That's how we get the creation of all things. Revelation. uh, in, In the Old Testament, the word of God is said to come. It's said to bring revelation of God. Isaiah, we read uh, in Isaiah, I think it's 38, the word of the Lord came to Isaiah. It's not that he heard it. It came to him. Deliverance. Psalm 107 is an example. Uh, It's a context of men crying out for help and deliverance. And we read in Psalm 107 that God sent forth his word and it healed them and delivered them from destruction. So in the Old Testament, there's this idea that God's words are as good as deeds. God's words accomplish something. They are not empty, Isaiah would tell us in Isaiah 55. Uh, Isaiah 55, he says, As rain and snow come down from heaven, making earth bring forth sprout, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the very thing for which I sent it. God's words are not our words. When God speaks, it's reality is what Isaiah is saying there. So uh, maybe the practical question is, okay, well, what does that mean in my life? I love going to Scripture to answer questions. Paul, I think, answers that for us in Colossians 1. Colossians 1, Paul says this, For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. What is Paul telling us about Jesus? He's saying that our very existence Our very life and breath is wrapped up in him. That's it. Verse 4, John hints at this. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. In other words, if you don't have him, you don't have life. If you don't have him, you're not really living And the life that you've built for yourself is doomed to fall apart. But there's another significance here about Jesus being the word. Think about this. If you think about the God of the Bible and how he's revealed himself in history, what is he? Well, I think one of the major descriptions of that God, if you looked at him in history, would be this. He is a speaking God. 
And he's been that way from the beginning. He spoke the world into being. He spoke his covenant promise to Abraham and called to himself a people, people Israel. He spoke his word to Moses and delivered his people from slavery. He spoke through his prophet and king David that he sat on the throne. He disciplined and loved his people by his, through his word, through judges, through kings, through prophets. The history of the people of God is defined by God's words. The Old Testament, the history of the Old Testament people of God is defined by God's words. If you look in your Bible, you don't have to, but if you look in your Bible, usually there's a blank page in between your Old and New Testament. I want to, I don't know if you ever heard this, but that blank page in between your Old and New Testament, it represents something very significant. It represents 400 years. Do you know 400 years of what? Silence. The end of Malachi 400 years before Christ was born, the words stopped. And then John tells us, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, the word was God, and the word became flesh and came to us, lived amongst us. I want you to see what John's saying. John's saying, are you waiting for God? Are you long, do you long that God would just say something? Speak up, speak something into my life. Give me some direction. Do you see what John's saying? John's saying, I'll tell you where to look. Here he is. He came for us. If you're longing for God to speak into your life, this is where you should be looking. Not in your dorm room, not at Bible study necessarily. Look to Jesus. He will speak to you at Bible study because it's God's word. Shouldn't have said that. Um, but that's where he'll speak to you. Second thing is this, moving on. He is the word, but he's God. This is, this is, I mean, we know this, but do we know this? He's God. Think about this. If Jesus is the word, he's God's perfect self-expression, what John is telling us is that the deeds and words of this man, Jesus of Nazareth, are the deeds and words of God himself. Think about this. Why does John take us all the way back to eternity past? Why does he do that? I think, I, I think of this illustration, I don't know if it works, but we'll see. Um, the comic book reboot in the movies has been all the rage the last 10, 15 years. And they're wildly successful. They're, I think movie Hollywood is just digging through all the comics they can find, trying to find another uh, gem here. Uh, and they're repeating them all over again as well. And you take something like uh, the Dark Knight trilogy. That's, that's one specifically I want to think about. And the premise of something like the Dark Knight trilogy is you take this superhero and you get to fully see what's behind the mask. But you see the early Batman movies, okay? You had um, the clean, do-no-wrong Bruce Wayne just trying to act like a normal millionaire ph philanthropist, right? And then as Batman, he's just kicking butt and taking names. He can do no wrong, right? But then you get a movie, a series like The Dark Knight, this take on Batman, and what you get is you get this Bruce Wayne who is a deeply haunted and real man. 
He's trying to deal with this inner conflict, and we see that he's a very broken, a very cynical, very disappointed person trying to deal with the brokenness in his own heart and that around him. And we love it. He even makes mistakes here and there. We love it. Why? Because I think now there's something very real about this character who before seemed anything but. In other words, you've got mythical greatness, mythical greatness that makes us, uh, makes every boy and every boy love comics, whatever, tingle. We love this mythical great superhero. But now we've got this mythical greatness that comes down, gives us something to relate to, gives us something we can believe in. I think the same principles at work here in the opening of this gospel, in eternity past, what John is showing us is the greatness and majesty of Jesus, just how big he really is. And unless, he's saying that unless we see this infinite, eternal, unchangeable God who made and upholds all things, if we miss that, we'll miss just how amazing is the majesty and condescension of his love towards us. We think about this God that is greater than we can ever fathom, this untouchable superhero that we really don't have adequate comp, uh, categories to comprehend, this infinite, eternal God who came down as a baby without any pomp or circumstance. And we have to admit, I think, that sometimes Jesus is just not that exciting to us because we either have never known or we've forgotten just who he really is. He's God. And John says, you've got to see this. But even more, you think about him being God. How are we ever going to be fixed? If you think about this, you know, we live in a broken world. We're acquainted with this. We are guaranteed to be disappointed to be burned, uh, wounded, even devastated. And some of you have maybe come face to face with those things more than most of us know. But there comes a day where you wake up and you realize, you know what? It's not just out there that is messed up. I am pretty messed up as well. And when you come to that realization, you inevitably have to ask the question, what is going to fix me? And you may come up with a lot of different answers, but I can tell you that what John says is there's only one. Who is going to fix me? How about the one who made you? And at that, the one who made you for himself. Here we have the designer himself who comes into the darkness. John puts it in those terms. To deal with our brokenness. How in the world is he going to do that? That's kind of the third thing here. He's the light And we're really going to open this up later uh, in the semester when Jesus says, I am the light of the world. But just for a minute, I want you to think about this. What does light do? Well, I think that the way that John is using it is that light reveals. Light shines, and in its shining, it reveals. What has Jesus revealed? Well, Jesus is light to us in that he reveals to us God. Number eight, uh, verse 18, no one has ever seen God, the only God, who's at the Father's side. He has made him known. Jesus is revealing to us who is God. What is he like? He also shines light on who we really are. So to look on Jesus, uh, people have also often 
you know, often describe, I don't know, anecdotally or what, uh, coming to Jesus as coming to the light or seeing the light. It's true. To know Jesus, to come to this Jesus is to see the light because whatever he says or does, is, it's what God is doing and saying at the same time. So in Jesus, we see what God is like. So ask yourself, what is God like? What do I think God is like? How would you answer that question without even thinking? Maybe some of you, know, we throw out where he's holy, he's loving, he's eternal, he's merciful. Maybe you throw out those kind of words. But I want you to think about if your life had to answer what you thought God was like, what would it say? How are you living what you think God is like? Because I think what I want to suggest to you is as we go through the Gospel of John, you're going to see that Jesus completely blows our categories for what we thought God was like. I heard Brian Sorgenfry, the RUF uh, minister, Mississippi State, break it down like this. Are you hurt? You know, maybe you're hurting, you're struggling. Maybe college has been a darker place than you thought it would be. Maybe last semester could not have gone any worse for you. I don't know. I want to know. Call me. Um, in those times, maybe you've been burned and disappointed by friends somebody you trusted, maybe even abused. I don't know. And it's in those times that it's easy to feel and to think that God could not be farther away from me. God could not be farther away from what I am feeling and thinking right now. I want you to know first, you're not alone. Read the Psalms. The psalmist felt the same way at times. But then you come to the gospel and you see Jesus. You see Jesus with the woman at the well, knowing her struggles better than she does. You see Jesus weeping at the tomb of his best friend, weeping over the brokenness of the world. And what John is telling us, what Jesus is telling us, is that God is not distant from you. In fact, he knows your hurt better than you do. And in fact, he hates it more than you do, and he wants nothing but the eradication of it. Maybe you've come to college, maybe you've been in college, maybe you got burned out and you just became, you know, I'm just going to live life. You know, I've done what's been expected of me my whole life. I'm in college now on my own. I'm going to experience things. I'm going to do, you know, do what I got to do. But then you come to the gospel and you have to deal with the Jesus that says, those who love me hear my voice and they obey my commands and they abide in me and they bear much fruit and those who don't bear fruit, my father takes away. Maybe you're judgmental though you would never think yourself it. You just really can't stand people that are fake. You just wish that you could find a group of people that are as real as you, right? You have to deal with the Jesus that walks straight up to the town prostitute just to speak words of mercy and healing into her life. The one who dined with the most despised citizens just so they could know him. Just so they could know him. Jesus completely blows our categories of who we thought God was and who we think we are. And John says, look to the light. Look to the light. In John 3, 19, uh, after uh, the great verse, John three sixteen, John says, 
that the light has come into the world and people loved the darkness rather than the light. You see, Jesus exposes our darkness. That's why a lot of us, we know that. And so we may be keeping at an arm's length. Do I really want to be exposed? Do I really want to be opened up? Jesus is going to do it. But you know why he does it? So he can deal with your darkness. And what actually ends up happening, he actually begins working in your heart, and the light actually begins to heal the darkness. If you look at verse 5 there, you see that light and dark, they're opposites, but they are not equals. The darkness cannot overcome the light, and it will not. The question is, are you willing to let that in? Are you willing to let that sink in? Are you willing to say, you know what, Jesus might lay bare some of the things I never wanted anyone to know. But he's also promised to heal those things at the same time. He's the light. Last thing here quickly. We don't have enough time to do it justice. This is such a jam-packed passage, but he's man. He is a man. Yes, Jesus is the word who is God, who was God, who is in the beginning with God. He's the light of men. He's the creator of everything. He's before all things. And yes, John tells us 2,000 years ago, that same Jesus, that same eternal son of God became a man. He was a baby. He had hair. He sweated. He got tired. He got hungry. He had to go to the bathroom, honestly. You know, I, this has never really happened before, but, and I, never li- I don't listen to country normally, but I just happened to leave it on a country station on the way here tonight. And I don't know what the title of this song is, but um, the tagline of the country song was, if I could have a beer with Jesus. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Y'all, that song is on to something. You could have if you lived 2,000 years ago. He's a real, he was a real person. You know, I, I'm going to go ahead and just throw in a Les Mis uh, illustration right here at the beginning of the semester. Loved that movie. Um, if you buy it, invite me over. I'll watch it with you um, whenever it comes out. But for those, maybe you were miserable because you didn't know what it was about and it was singing and you didn't like it. But um, for those of us that love that story or for those of us that were moved by that story in the movie, we... We love that story because it's a testimony of grace and mercy in the lives of real people, right? You get this story of grace shown to this criminal Jean Valjean by a priest and it transforms him and it spurs him on to live a righteous and generous life. You have poor little Cosette, right, rescued from the drudges of destitution and God knows what awaited her later in her life to become the doted on daughter of this wealthy man, We love all the grace and redemption wrapped up in that story. And as moved as we are by that story, we have to realize it does not hold a candle to what this God did. It doesn't. The most heart-throbbing story you have ever read, seen, talked about does not hold a candle to what this God did. John spends the first 13 verses telling us about who this God is so that we can understand the weight of verse 14. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. 
the infinite, eternal, unchangeable God took on a created body by his own choice to live in poverty, live a life of rejection, to be persecuted. And Hebrews 2 tells tells us that he was tempted in every way like we are. If you're honest, you really don't believe that. But he was. Meaning we really do have a God that knows exactly where we are. Why? Why would he do that? Verse 12. So that we could become children of God. That's why he did it. That we could become children of God. And when that realization finally begins to hit home, we will know that we have met this God, this Savior, this uh, one. We will know that he's the one that fills all in all, meaning that we know that he is all I will ever need and all that I've ever wanted. And from that fullness, we will agree with John in verse 16 that he is full. From that fullness, we receive grace upon grace. to wonder, is that your view of Jesus? When you think of Jesus, is the only thing that comes to your mind grace upon grace? Thinking I've, something I've never deserved, something more, something greater than I've ever imagined, but it's all mine. Grace upon grace. What is it going to take for us to believe that? That no matter how bad your last semester was, your last year, whatever, that there's grace for you. That maybe you came back here after Christmas and you're like, I'm really gonna get on track and it wasn't even a week before it all fell apart again. That there's grace for that. That maybe you're thinking to yourself, you know, I really just don't care. There's grace for that too. Where are you going to find that grace? What the apostle John is telling us, John is saying, I'm not gonna give you an airtight argument. I'm going to give you an airtight person. And you can't write him off for lack of evidence because I saw him, I heard him, I felt him. We all did. And what we found was grace upon grace. You have to ask yourself, are you at least willing to look into that? To admit that maybe he's not what you thought he was. Maybe he's offering something you didn't quite realize before. That maybe what you're rejecting is not some abstract idea, but a person. Put this quote in your bulletin, and I'm going to expand it a little bit. I'm going to end with this. Tim Keller, that bottom quote, he says this. In the Christian view, the ultimate evidence for the existence of God is Jesus Christ himself. If there is a God, we characters in his play have to hope that he puts some information about himself in the play. But Christians believe that he did more than give us information. He wrote himself into the play as the main character in history when he was born in a manger and rose from the dead. He is the one with whom you have to do. There's only one question tonight. Have you met him? And are you at least willing to come back and see what it's all about? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that from before the foundations of the world, 
we had a savior. And Father, in the fullness of time, you sent him forth to be born of a woman, to be a baby, to grow up, to live life on this earth, to endure loneliness and rejection and persecution, all for us, all so that we could take his place. Father, we don't pretend to even begin to fully understand that, but we pray that you would begin to tell us the story that we might know him and that by knowing him, we might know you as our God and our redeemer. We pray all these things in his name, amen.